Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. How are you today? It's so great to have you with us. And a special shout-out to Yoshiko. Yoshiko Dart, one of the greatest leaders in our area. Love you, Yoshiko. And a special shout-out to Ireland. Oh, my God. New Zealand's trying to catch you. If you don't know, we have 17 countries, 17 that listen to this show. In Ireland, I don't know what you do, but keep on doing it. You are amazing. The following is amazing. Uh, Also, I must thank Highmark, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield, who has been our lead sponsor for the past year, let's see, three, three years in a row. Um, And AudioEye, who is uh, the first four months of the year. And hey, we appreciate every single sponsor of the show. Well, I am very excited about today because I have known our esteemed guests for a long time. Um, I mean, really, very few events have I ever been to about accessibility that she has not been at. And every disability conference and event, she is so awesome. And Frances West, it is an honor to have you with us today. She is the author and founder of Frances West Company because she just can't retire. Not that she wasn't like going 100 miles an hour before, and she still is today. Frances, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Joyce. This is such an honor to be on your show uh, in my new uh, role and in my new capacity. Well, thank you. Um, And as I just mentioned, when I think of accessibility expertise, I mean, I think of you as a giant in the industry. Uh, You did so much for the world when you were at IBM, and now you are continuing to help companies on an international basis. For our listeners around the world, I would like to begin with you telling your story, which is so powerful, of moving from an immigrant to a senior executive. Well, thank you, Joyce. I'm I'm so um, you know again honored to have you uh, wanting to know my personal story. Uh, this is a story about immigrant. Uh, I came to the United States at a tender age of 19, and uh, originally we're just trying to study English and get to know the culture for one year as an exchange student in sophomore year. But then when I came here to this little liberal arts school in the middle of Shenandoah Valley uh, in Lexington, Virginia, I really uh, fell in love with the the freedom of academic freedom, um, the fact that I can choose any courses I want to take, and also the exposure to different uh, culture. I was staying with a Jewish professor family, learning uh, how to, you know, make blintzes and matzo soup and celebrating Passover and Hanukkah. Um, then uh, even though I was in the U.S. only six months and I made a decision actually on my own that I want to continue my, uh, my study in the United States. Um, so, so I became uh, a, a student, uh, had to transfer to Lexington, Kentucky uh, to go to the state school of the University of Kentucky. So I'm a wildcat. Uh, um, and uh, from there, um, I was very fortunate uh, when I graduated from college. At the time, IBM had a big presence in the Lexington, Kentucky uh, town, and I interviewed with IBM and uh, entered in IBM sales and uh, marketing division, um, basically uh, marketing and selling mainframe computers. 
Now, this is back in the late 70s and, and uh, early 80s. The computer or technology was just on the rise. And, um, and then for the next uh, three, uh, three and a half decade or so, I was able to uh, take on uh, different responsibilities and was given the opportunity to um, work in different divisions in IBM, including one of the highlights was that I was actually asked to go back to China in the mid-90s uh, to help IBM open up the financial services sectors. So my team and I worked with, for example, the Central Bank of China. Uh, we put in the system for Shanghai Stock Exchange uh, back office. We also uh, implemented the biggest uh, insurance agent management system uh, for Chinese insurance companies. Um, fast forward, came back and became an executive, and then um, and and uh, did more um, kind of a, a global jobs. And then I landed in this job of my at the time I didn't know, but to head up the uh, IBM Accessibility Center um, in IBM Research, and it turned out to be a, a very transformative uh, job. And uh, and and here I am. Um, even after serving in that role for uh, 10 plus years, I decided to continue to do that. So that is my journey in a nutshell. Francis, what an honor and how exciting it must have been for you to go back to China and pay it forward for everyone there. Um, I can't even imagine how that felt to you. Yeah, it was quite a quite an experience, and uh, but I had to say it was very interesting. I went back, and uh, six months into my uh, foreign assignment in Beijing, China, I actually came home one day and said to my husband, who happened to be a psychologist, and I said to him, "You know what? I am not Chinese. I'm actually American." Um, because by then, you know, uh, all my thinking, especially my business knowledge, and uh, and uh, and ethics and everything was very much Americanized, and so it was a very interesting to have to um, even though I speak the language, I speak Chinese, I write Chinese, uh, but culturally, you know, I have became more of a, a American, and so to deal with the um, cross-cultural uh, issues in a business setting, that in itself was a very uh, interesting journey. Oh, that is so interesting. That is. I can see that, though, because of the Western culture that you would seem that way to them. I'm sure that dichotomy was uh, very interesting to you also. That, that really is, but I can see that. I can see how that would happen. I have traveled through the State Department to Indonesia, Kazakhstan, uh, Japan, Panama, South Korea, And you're right. When I think of people there that are visiting, you know, from the United States, it is a little bit different. It is. Uh, That's really that's really a good point. Um, Well, you mentioned IBM. Two questions I have. Why did you choose that company to join and why were you interested in technology? So um, when I uh, was getting ready to graduate from college, um, I, I mean, I, of course, at that time, I only had three years in the United States, and uh, I was actually still learning English, um, and, but I knew I wanted to join uh, companies that, has, um, that have very good training programs. So on top of my list uh, was actually Procter & Gamble. Uh, based in Cincinnati, and then also um, IBM, um, because both companies had a very, um, uh, very good reputation in terms of um, uh, training their employees, and also both companies uh, are global. Um, that was that was one of the things I thought. You know, because of my uh, my different background, um, perhaps I can bring more to the table, so so to speak, if I work with a global company. Um, and as it turned out, I, 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 even though I had a short list of companies, um, I was not. I was in the process of getting the green card. Uh, I was not a, a permanent resident of the United States yet. I, I had a, only a student visa. I mean, this day and age, you you, you see a lot of uh, a write-up and news about immigration policies. You know, the HB1 visa and all that. I went through all that. 
And um, and IBM, in this case, I was very fortunate. There was a uh, manager who was on campus to recruit, and uh, he listened to my story and my aspiration to join a global company. And even though my green card was not in hand, and uh, but I, you know, it was in, it's still in process. He was um, in not, he was encouraging me to uh, to actually pick IBM to be the company because he he felt like that I could add value to IBM. So he offered me the job um, contingent upon my getting the visa a few months later. I mean, which is unheard of. Um, so I was very lucky to have somebody like Frank Friedrichstor, that's his name, to step out his kind of a process, you know, HR process, and uh, really see me as a, a human, as a person, and gave me that uh, big, um, big break. Yeah, you know um, what I always say about that? I say one person, one decision. Something happens in your life where you have that opportunity to make that one decision and look what this decision caused. You know, you ended up impacting the world by him giving you that chance. Uh, and well, we all need to... Re- I feel very grateful, right? So everything I do since uh, after I joined IBM, I, I, try to, I try to not just give it my all, but give it double because it was a very... Um, I was very fortunate. And the part two of your question, why, why was I interested in technology? And truth be told, I was actually a, a, a business major. I had actually zero technology background um, at the time. Um, but in this case, I guess a lot of people associate Asian with uh, technical jobs or technology. So, so Frank, he gave me the job, but then he said, well, I think we're going to make you a systems engineer, which is a technical job or technology job. But I was smart enough to, to to not say, well, I don't know anything about it. I figure I just learn it as I go. So that's how I got in. Um, once I accepted the job, obviously I had to study very hard to catch up. Uh, so technology even was a kind of accidental. Wow. But see the initiative that you showed. Great for any young people listening to the show. That's great, great advice for them. But right now, we've got to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to Francis West, the author and founder of Francis West Company and former giant in the accessibility area at IBM. We'll be right back with Francis. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking today to Francis West, author and founder of Francis West Company and former giant in the accessibility area. And actually, let's get right to it. That is my next question. I have seen you present at many national conferences, Francis, throughout the years. Uh, I think that 
I can say just the majority of people in this industry uh, know who you are. But my question is, why accessibility? Why did you choose to go into that area? So the accessibility actually chose me. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my my life in IBM started out um, to be a kind of sales and marketing. You know, the more of a business aspect of uh, of, uh, of work, and I actually has zero exposure to you know the advocacy work, uh, especially in the uh, disability area. Um, but in the early 2000s, um, I had an opportunity to head up IBM Accessibility. Um, at the time, because the organization is in IBM Research, so I was actually more interested in the job, the fact that it's in IBM Research, I get to work with the technologists or researchers in innovation, which to me is a very kind of a new and exciting area. And then accessibility is the area that they focus on. But once I got into it, um, what I realized that this is an area where the technology really matters and also the technology that really have a purpose. And then I, uh, I actually had a chance to, through the job, uh, get to know not so much the traditional customer that I, I've known, you know, for 20 plus years up to that point, but I began to get in contact with organizations like yours, uh, Joyce. I don't know, like I, you recall, but you were actually one of the first ones that reached out and frankly taught me a lot about disability, um, about employment uh, and what, what a talent, you know, they can be. And so as I was learning more about this work, um, even though my, my whole background has been technology, but the fact that it combines with, um, with the hu- humanity made it incredibly, um, interesting, and uh, so I always jokingly said, um, this job, I started out to be a, a job and then became a career and then became a calling. Um, in a way, I have to give thanks to people like yourself who really educated me that technology is there to serve a purpose, and in, in, in this case, uh, people with disabilities. Well, as I said, if, if you knew... Uh, Francis, you would know after, you know, the past years, I've heard her speak so many places. She speaks internationally. She has spoken at large conferences. I mean, her expertise in the area of accessibility is par none. It's just fabulous. And actually, she became the first chief accessibility officer. What an honor that is, Francis. Um, and, and what was that? What did your role mean? What all did it cover? So um, being the um, chief accessibility officer at IBM, basically I had the uh, kind of twofold responsibility at the time. One fold, uh, which is most important, is to making sure that um, IBM's um, internal processes, governance, and policies, and also day-to-day operation um, is such a way that uh, we provide the most accessible uh, workplace environment for our employees around the world. I mean, we're talking about 350,000 plus 170 country operation, and how do you innovate and making sure that as the company grows and evolves at a day-to-day level um, that when we hire, let's say, a blind programmer in, um, in India, you know, can get online and do the work, you know, just like we hire somebody in, um, in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and then also working with our product development team um, to make sure the hardware, the software, the services, whatever IBM sell to our customers is as accessible as possible. And then the other part of my job is really uh, looking into the future, um, innovating um, tools and technology that address the technology challenges. So, for example, um, in the mid-2000s, uh, we saw the emergence of a mobile technology like iPhone and all that. And uh, so we created tools to make sure that the mobile apps is as accessible as the Internet, you know, web-based apps. Uh, another area we saw and we participated, uh, for example, 
some of the policy work um, with with the U.S. government, and we know that video is becoming a very uh, important medium for both communication and also for business, you know, uh, and just just in general as a new media. So how do you make sure that video is captioned, um, you know, quickly? So we develop some of the technology from uh, speech-to-text. So... Um, and then, of course, acting as an ambassador on behalf of IBM, working with advocacy groups like yours um, to really learn and always anticipating what the needs of the constituency need and then how do we use technology to address that. Yeah, and um, I remember when I was at the White House uh, several years ago, and I heard Eve Hill from the Justice Department speak, and she said, if you want to hire people with disabilities, but your website is not accessible, then the door is closed. And mm-hmm. that is so true, you know, still today, that if your website or internal applications are not accessible then how could you employ people with disabilities? And accessibility, by the way, covers more than being blind. You know, learning disabilities, intellectual disabilities, people who are deaf, uh, people with uh, speech difficulty or mobility issues. And, you know, you just aren't going to be able to employ people with disabilities successfully if you are, in fact, not accessible. And here you are, Francis, you've done all this work all these years, and now you have your own company, uh, Francis West Company. Uh, what What is your company? Tell us all about it. Okay, so um, Francis West Co. Um, is a uh, company that I, I um, decided to um, to set up because just like you mentioned, um, I think technology is so intertwined if, with uh, the society now. Like, uh, it really impacts how we live, how we learn, how we play. Um, it, it's really permeating everything we do. And that, um, and that uh, when, we, when we talk about employment, which is the most important thing for any individual is to have you know, um, a sustainable economic independence, um, we have to make sure that company, large or small, or enterprise, global companies, or, or startup really understand that you must have accessible accessibility built into your, quote-unquote, workplace infrastructure, right? And that uh, hiring is one part but making sure that individual with different abilities, whether it's deaf, blindness, or uh, mobility and cognitive, that when they come to work every day, day in, day out, that there is parity, there is, you know, in productivity, that is so important. And, and I feel so strongly about that message and also um, that uh, the way of thinking that that's why I set up a Francis West Code um, to really uh, help organizations, whether it's government, like I said, or nonprofit or startup, to, to view this as a, um, you know, it really is a foundational play for the future of their uh, company, future of work, future of society, because uh, we, we really have to operationalize inclusion through technology, and that's what Francis Westco is, is about uh, providing strategy and advisory services. And I recently uh, wrote a book, and uh, that book uh, called Authentic Inclusion Drives Disruptive Innovation um, is giving me a platform to discuss this at the highest level of uh, both government and the business. Yeah, I think that is so exciting. And I have to ask you, if someone is listening to the show today, and they are interested in your company and your services. What would you say are the main programs or the main areas of expertise that you have? 
So I would say that uh, first go to my website, Francis West Co., uh, FrancisWest.co, not .com, but uh, .co. Um, I would say that um, is is really um, understanding uh, a a new way of thinking about accessibility and also inclusion uh, at the at the highest level of the, uh, of the business. In other words, it's a transformational thinking that uh, my company can offer of, of uh, executives of changing the perspective, understanding the market trends at the global level, and then help them to shift their um, business strategy to encompass accessibility as a business imperative. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, another area is that uh, I actually work with a lot of affiliates so that if a company is really interested in now operationalizing uh, accessibility, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, for example, product development or their marketing um, or if their internal you know, uh, CIO office, um, then we can provide different, again, um, strategy guidance as to how, how to operationalize accessibility in these different contexts. Right. And in addition to this executive management consulting, which uh, would most likely be in the C-suite at any, any company, do you also speak at conferences? Absolutely. Uh, keynoting, speaking at conferences, is, is, um, it's my way of trying to um, bring a new perspective into this topic. Um, uh, and Joyce, you know this. Um, on one hand, we've been um, we've been very lucky, you know, with American Disability Act uh, that kind of set the baseline. Um, but on the other hand, I think sometimes, especially at the highest level organizations uh, in business, uh, accessibility can be put in under um, the compliance um, area which in itself is not a problem, but if you really want to have a disruptive kind of uh, thinking, um, it has to be, you know, viewed as a, a initiative that impact the future growth, the future differentiation uh, of a company. So my keynoting at conferences, I recently very, I was very um, honored to be invited to, um, to be one of the uh, um, a few what they call the noted authors uh, at CES, Consumer Electronics Show, in Las Vegas, where they have over 200,000 attendees um, to talk about my book. And also, uh, just a couple weeks ago, as South by Southwest, again, probably one of the coolest um, conferences where the film industry, the music industry, and technology industries all come together um, to talk about innovation. Uh, I was invited to speak there, um, and uh, these are what I call the mainstream conferences, which I'm very, um, I'm very happy to see that there seems to be emerging needs and wants and desire to learn more about the topic of diversity and inclusion in the in the technology context, which of course translate into accessibility. Um, so all the hard work and the and keynoting that I did with the disability community, whether it is uh, USBLN or now called Disability Inc. or AAPD uh, conferences kind of helped me and prepare me to really shape the messaging for the, the big general audience in the business world. Right. And you have a plethora, really, of information to provide to them um, and so I assume if someone is interested, they would just go to your website to contact you. And if they do, would they also know when you are speaking at different events? Um, I don't have that published yet. Uh, I am. It's a brand new website. Uh, it's something definitely I'm, I'm thinking about uh, putting on there so people can, can, can do that. I think the best way is for them to follow me on uh, on Twitter, you know, fwest34 or uh, or LinkedIn, um, and also a lot of my uh, thinking um, is articulated in the book. Like I mentioned, um, authentic inclusion drives disruptive innovation. 
um, which if they go to the website, they can follow the link to Amazon or Barnes & Noble uh, because that kind of would give the audience and the reader a chance to to um, to understand um, the point of view I'm bringing forward. And actually, I would love to get feedback from your readers about their um, perception uh, and input about this book as well. And where do you purchase this book? On Amazon and uh, Barnes and & Noble, and also there is a Kindle version available. All that information is on my website, francislwest.co.co. Um, authentic inclusion. inclusion. Yeah, authentic inclusion. What is this disruptive innovation you talk about? What do you mean by that? So... You know, nowadays, a lot of people talk about inclusion, right? Uh, it's almost politically incorrect not to talk about inclusion. Um, so I have this point of view that um, when you talk about inclusion, especially in today's context, um, you have to think about both uh, hiring, obviously, which is um, what I call the talent, the first T, and then, but you also have to think about the second T, the T plus T. Second T stands for technology. So the whole construct of authentic inclusion says that um, in order to operationalize um, diversity and inclusion in your company and in order to really recognize that every person can make a difference and that they have a different abilities and potentially will require different uh, augmentation by technology, then you as a company executives or you as a company really need to invest in this area, right? So it's not just treated as a um, kind of afterthought. Uh, it's not just about accommodation, but to view this investment, uh, when I say investment, I mean investment in time, in energy, in strategy, um, in dollars, that you really view this um, of working or hiring and having people with disability to participate in your innovation process as the way of going forward, as the way of creating disruptive uh, innovation. Um, because going back, um, and actually some of these original thoughts, again, come from, you know, um, a giant, talking about giants like, like yourself, right, um, that how people with disability actually brings about the most creativity so, and then I observed that, of course, firsthand in IBM Research, where I have blind scientists and deaf engineers, you know, working on the most advanced and complex problems. So, so you know, innovation is not actually enough to differentiate any business. You really need the disruptive innovation, and that disruption and disruptive innovation can come from creativity that can be brought upon by people with disabilities. So I'm really pushing the executives to think differently and about this investment, not just about accommodation, but disruptive innovation. Yeah, I, I just love that. Uh, as you know, Francis, for many, many years, when I would go to a company, so I, I know you would see this also, it was like, diversity was here with all the minority groups and then disability was somewhere else. You know, it was not part of diversity. And then it did become part. And now through the years, you know, we have inclusion in the diversity area. But I like this disruptive innovation because it takes it to another level, and it's a new way of thinking. And, you know, we always have to be careful. We just don't get caught up in one mantra. We, we really have to be careful about that. So I, I really like that. I think that is a uh, great concept. And once again, FrancisWest.co, if you go, uh, you can find out more about authentic inclusion or go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Kindle to purchase the book. And you know what? I not only hope you purchase it, I hope you tell a lot of people about it because, you know, this is written by a woman with incredible expertise in this area 
at the executive level, you know, at that C-suite level, uh, and that is what makes so much of a dif- of a difference. I, I do want to ask you one thing, Francis. I've ne- you know I don't know why this is, but even today, companies are in an immature state when it comes to buying into complete accessibility. You know, Jenny Lay Flurry from Microsoft says if someone says, well, I'm not sure I think we're accessible, then I can assure you they aren't accessible. And what what is amazing to me is that there are companies that when I talk to them, they say, yes, we need to do that. Um, I mean, this absolutely blew my mind. But just last week, I met with the CEO of a company that a very well-known person referred me to, and in the meeting, they said, yes, I know about accessibility, but, you know, right now, we have a way of accommodating. If someone can't get in, you know, we have someone else call them and figure this out, and I'm sitting there thinking, you've got to be kidding. Oh, my goodness. So, Francis... How can that be in 2019? I know this is the this is the thing. Going back to where we started, I think uh, on one hand, you know the um, the ADA really uh, set a good you know a kind of a policy a position, but the implementation of that, at least in the business community, become you know very compliance you know, uh, based. And, and, and we all know, I mean, if you are in business, if once it becomes a compliance, people actually try to meet the minimum, right? And, uh, and this is another reason why I feel so strongly uh, timing-wise to write this book because I feel that I understand and, fr- and frankly, I feel the frustration uh, even on myself. Like for the longest time, there is few. There are a few companies, and Microsoft certainly is one of them, are beginning to really, um, you know, uh, differentiate themselves in the marketplace. But there's still just a handful of companies. Right? By now, you will think it should be droves, right? So I think, I think this is a problem. Is that the because the the C C suite executive are probably looking at this exactly how they were kind of uh, brought up to view as a, as a compliance. They're not looking at it as a market differentiation play necessarily. And I, I, I remember in the beginning of the show, you talked about 17 countries. So in my book, I actually referenced a different country, uh, you know, kind of a scenario. So you have, for example, in Australia, right? I mean, the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Schema, it's, it's changing the thinking about disability services and then we're using technology to give, you know, the people with disabilities direct access to the, to the uh, services funding. And they're using, again, very innovative uh, approach and thinking to completely change the process. And then you got, you know, China. I was just in China in March. I was the only invited speaker at their uh, first industry accessibility uh, summit where you have big-name global players like Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu uh, talking about accessibility. Now, they don't have American Disability Act. They don't have, you know, this kind of uh, legislative uh, measurement. But what happened was that because the aging population, China is going to have, you know, over 360 million people over age 65, which is, equates the entire population in the United States. So the government and also the business is beginning to see this as an opportunity, right? So they, they, they are now hiring people with disability to help them to, for example, to perfect their mobile payment system because they want, in this case, I think in China, we're talking about maybe 65 million blind people, you know, to shop online, to buy things online. And so making, making the mobile app accessible becomes a business opportunity. I think that opportunity is actually upon us, um, and that's why we really have to engage the C-suite on this line of thinking, which is really a market differentiation and disruptive innovation um, versus more of the what I call the uh, kind of a traditional approach 
um, because because I think if we keep going after the kind of a more of a compliance approach, um, we won't be able to break away um, from the from the from the current reality as fast. Yes, I agree with you completely. I think you have to go. Uh, to the business, the business, the return on investment, how this is good business from a bottom line perspective, because let's face it, we've had the ADA all these years, but we still don't, we still have 70% of people with disabilities not counted in the workforce. That is why it is so awesome what Ted Kennedy Jr. did, getting Accenture to do that study pro bono showing that corporations that employ people with disabilities and have disability inclusion are four times more profitable than their competitors. And it isn't until you show data, the bottom line. I mean, just talking about, for example, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act, that won't do it. That will not do it. You know, everyone thought it would, but it didn't. You know, you have to show the business. That is an excellent example that you gave from China. And, you know, right here in the United States, we're going to have all these baby boomers. Right. And then actually in my book, I talked about a reference of this, uh, all these latest uh, research um, by Accenture, by disability and by, you know, APD and uh, and also, I think the Kessler Foundation quoted that as much as people talk about inclusion with executives, you know, uh, very few executives are directly involved, you know, in making, you know, um, kind of a um, business a strategic uh, decision in this area. A, a lot of times is, is more on the HR side, not, not to say that HR is not important, but HR is, in, in, in my way of thinking, is a corporate function. Uh, but what we need is business, is the revenue generating, um, you know, part of the uh, business to recognize that this could be attracting new customers and, and all that. That's when, you know, things actually get interesting and could have sustained, uh, frankly, attention of, uh, of the C-suites or the board executives. So that's why I kind of lay out this particular uh, point of view in my book is to really um, – Change, um, change the perspective and the narratives, and then also give out some, um, you know, best practices around the world, because this is, as you know, I mean, this aging uh, or disability uh, phenomenon is not going away. <laughs> if anything, it's going to accelerate, and um, and we already see more and more companies, for example, specializing elder care and all that. So by definition, if you design with people with disabilities slash aging in mind, you actually um, are creating um, foundational differentiation that could be uh, lasting for the next, you know, decades. Right. Uh, And I will tell you, I myself am going to take that uh, book to different people in the C-suite because you cannot see a big improvement in employment if you are not committed to accessibility, you know, across the board. And too many say, well, this part is accessible. I mean, it still amazes me. I just cannot, you know, fathom why people don't understand that. Uh, But I think your book is going, you know, you have such credibility. So I think coming from you, that's very powerful, Francis. And you, Francis, have done so much already for so many people, which tells me you had a role model that impacted your life to make all those things happen. So who, who Francis, who is your role model? Well, in my role model, as I, when I was growing up in Taiwan and Hong Kong, you know, as a little girl, my, uh, my role model at the time was Mulan. Do you know Mulan? I think there's a Disney movie about her. Um, so for those of you who don't know uh, Mulan, um, Mulan is a, is a girl and, uh, in the ancient China, and um, 
and there was a, during a wartime, she was afraid that her father would be drafted to serve in the military. So she, you know, disguised herself as a, as a little, as a boy and joined the army to fight the bad guys. And then later on, and she became, uh, I mean, she, she became so good in, in, um, in her, her job as a, as a, um, a soldier, an army, and, and whatever, then later on um, people um, uh, realize that she actually is a girl. So to me, you know, um, you can download, by the way, from the Disney uh, collection, uh, the movie Mulan. Um, and then later on, it was really people like Madame uh, Curie, you know, who, of course, kind of uh, invented the radiology. And, and if you read her story, you know, how she was really um, not only despised or set aside, dis- people would dismiss her because back then uh, not many women scientists are supposed to uh, be successful, and yet she ended up being the first Nobel Prize winner. Um, I would say... Once I start getting in touch with the uh, the world of uh, of um, accessibility, uh, Helen Keller uh, has to be uh, has to be the, the the probably one of the biggest you know role model that I I look up to, and then because I also saw the letter between her and our um, um, CEO uh, T J Watson uh, back in 1950s, how she actually wrote to him about. Um, you don't have to have, you know, vision to have vision, right? And then and, and in that letter, they exchange, you know, um, the talk about um, how important it is for technology to help people with different abilities. Um, but in the current world, I would say one of the business role models I have is the um, ex-CEO of... Um, of uh, uh, PepsiCo um, and, uh, you know, um, Indra Nui because uh, she is um, a, a woman that um, came, you know, came from India and, and became the CEO of Pepsi. And also she kind of transformed the Pepsi business to really go into what, what she called, it, you know, food that's fun for you, better for you, and good for you and started the whole effort of introducing healthier snack and drinks and all that. So um, she's a mom, she's a, she's a CEO, and then she introduced, really believed in her belief, of her personal belief of better food and better, you know, uh, well-being is important to business. So um, anyway, so these are my, my role models um, as I was growing up, and also during my uh, during my uh, my journey, you know what's amazing, Francis, is I don't think anyone in all these years have, has ever mentioned Marie Curie. And you know what? I just bought her book. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That is so amazing uh, that you would say that. But I too think. You know, look how much she did uh, and what a time that she did this in. Just as you pointed out, a very difficult time by the way she was treated and yet did not give up, never gave up. Uh, Well, I want to ask you before we end the show today, Francis, you have accomplished so very much in your life. It's amazing. What would you say is the accomplishment you're the proudest of? Um, I guess, you know, it's funny you ask that question. I guess the accomplishment is that um, I now have a granddaughter. Um, I just became a grandma about three months ago. And uh, to look back, you know, you work hard um, at everything you do. Uh, but to me, um, be able to have have it all, I guess, in a way, you know, have a career, have a job, have, you know, friends, and but then have family, um, and to be there with me through this journey, and now to have um, not just the next generation, but a third generation. I grew up with two brothers, 
and then I had two sons. And so there's no girl in my immediate kind of a uh, family. And uh, to to have a little uh, baby Camille uh, West joining our family, and I look at her every day, you know, um, and to think, you know, what kind of world, you know, will she be living in? Um, it's just been uh, incredibly actually uh, motivating because uh, our time on this earth is limited. And, uh, I mean, God knows right now we have a bit of a challenge all around. And so I think having, having family, having friends, having people believe in you, um, and despite all the, you know, challenges along the way, um, and then uh, having hope, you know, into um, into the next generation. On that note, I do think that the millennial generation, I think, potentially will embrace the topic that you and I have been um, kind of spending our life on uh, a lot more uh, uh, authentically. Um, so, so that's you know, I would say that's the thing that uh, that motivates me and. Uh, and then I would say, I guess my accomplishment is is really having uh, having family, and in this case, uh, uh, a third generation, you know, coming up. Oh well, what a beautiful story, and congratulations to you. That no, you can't put any price tag on that. You know that it's just a miracle of joy. So. Uh, congratulations to you. And Francis, thank you so much for being our guest today. I so much enjoyed reconnecting with you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Like I said, uh, I want to thank you from the very beginning. You and Mary, um, Mary Brocker, you, you guys were the first wave of actually teaching me everything about, you know, the disability world and uh, how to advocate, you know, in a positive uh an energetic way, <laughs> so uh, so I'm just trying to uh, I'm just trying to keep up with you two. Oh well, you are definitely on the move, no question about that. One more time for everyone, it's FrancisWest.co, and the name of the book is Authentic Inclusion. Francis, I expect you to send me that book autographed so that when this book becomes bestseller, I can say, I know Frances West. Her name is on this book. And I will be telling everyone about this. You tell everyone about it. Remember, if you know someone else you want to hear this, you can get the podcast from Apple, Spotify. Don't miss out sharing it with other people. And we end every show with a quote. And oh my goodness, how appropriate this is today. And that would be, hold your head high. Look the world straight in the eye, said Helen Keller. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters, at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.